Our passion didn't start with a mouth. It started with people, with the well-being of the profession. And if you're like me, maybe a little bit of your nerdiness and all things tech too. We all want to love what we do, but the truth is burnout, people problems, and glass ceilings can keep us from doing what we set out to do. So let's get back to the heart of connection. Welcome to the Dental Handoff. This show is about passing you the knowledge, the habits, the systems, and the strategies to lead your teams, lean on your tech, and listen to your gut while you take care of people and truly the overall health of our communities. Let's stop using the wrong end of the toothbrush, y'all. My name is Dr. Kelly Tanner. Oh, and uniquely, I'm a dental hygienist too. You can consider me a guru in the dental and leadership industry. With over three decades of experience, my goal is to take you to the next level by empowering growth, perspective, and confidence. By identifying the gaps, recognizing the plaque, and extracting the truth with the other experts in the field. I'll share their stories, empower you to own yours, and elevate your passion in the process. So have a seat in the chair, put on your bib, and let's get to work. Welcome to the Dental Handoff. I'm Dr. Kelly Tanner, RDH. I'm the host today. And guess who I have with me today? Stephanie Botts, who I've never met in person, you guys. I'm so excited. We've been (laughs) in the same places at the same time. And I said, this year, right now, I'm reaching out to her and I'm going to have her on the dental handoff. Stephanie, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. I'm I'm honored to be here and say, like I've know I've seen you on social media. I've seen you at conferences, and we've never connected in person. So I was just um, very excited when you reached out to me. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. It's it's funny. Before we got on, Steffi and I were talking about all the wild things that can happen <laughs> as a speaker and. And for one, you don't really, you think that things are unique to you, but when you start talking about them, it's like, I had that happen to me too. So we were talking about like a speaker support group of all the things that happen and the wild ride that we're on. But Stephanie, I always love to start with a question of why dentistry, like why hygiene and why did you choose it as a profession? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, um, I actually, when I was younger, I was congenitally missing seven and 10. So I had a lot of um, dental work. I was in the dental office a lot when I was younger. I did ortho. Um, I got implants when I was 16, which is, you know, very young. Um, and so it was just a big ordeal. And so I was in the dentist's office a lot. And I was interested in teeth just because of that. But also, I always had excellent experiences at the dentist. I was, and I was going through some painful stuff and I was never scared. It was always just a welcoming environment. And so anyway, when the time came for me to figure it out, it was honestly between nursing and dentistry. Um, I have a sister that's a physician and I saw all, and she's a specialist. And so she went to school for like a hundred years and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know if that's for me, but I wanted to do something in healthcare. And, and then dental hygiene just seemed like a natural fit. Um, I, I didn't really care to be a dentist, but hygiene interested me because of the preventative nature of it and how we can really promote health. So, um, and I'm so glad that I did. It's been a, such a rewarding profession. Yeah, it's every every person's path is so different. And sometimes it's a tooth story, it's a trauma, it's a they fell in love with their hygienist, or they <laughs> just accidentally fell in love with hygiene. It's so wild, like everyone's story. So then you started off, tell us about like how you started off in hygiene and tell us a little bit of timeline about where you are now. 
Yeah. So I, I've been practicing for about 14 years and up until the last couple of years, that's all been full time. So four to five days a week. Um, and I love, I love clinical hygiene. I'm still, I still am clinical one day a week. Um, but I just remember like up until now, I was very happy being a hygienist. I loved it. I loved the office that I was in, but I wanted more and I wasn't sure exactly what that was for me. And so I went, when I first graduated and got my, um, license, I had an associate's degree. And so I was like, well, let me just go back and finish my bachelor's. So I did that probably um, five or six years ago. Um, And that was cool, but I still wanted more. And, um, you know, just like some things happened with me being in pain and wanting to, to learn more about ergonomics. And that kind of started me down this road of learning about ergo. And now I would, we were talking about this before we started the call. And um, I never would have predicted that I would be where I am now. I just, I had no idea where this entrepreneurial road would take me. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for it. So you're still working clinical hygiene Mm -hmm. and you are working on the ergo, you're speaking. Yeah. And so what, how many days a week are you working hygiene? Would you say? If you- so just one day clinical okay. um, ish, just depending on what I've got going on, but pretty much one day is what I can handle right now. Um, but I just like, I feel like when I was strictly clinical, that was who I was, was a clinical okay. dental hygienist. Now I'm a clinical dental hygienist. I'm also a speaker. I'm also a content creator on social media. I also write articles. I I coach and assess dental clinicians. I consult with companies. Like it's all these things. And I just, I'm every day is different. I have such variability in what I'm doing every day. So I don't get bored. And um, it's, it's just been incredible. You brought up an interesting point about the identity and I remember when I was a clinical hygienist and then I went in and I became an associate professor when I first started teaching at a dental hygiene program in Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. And when I left there to go own a business for the first time, when I left as a business owner, I felt like I was sort of um, abandoning myself. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because I felt like my whole identity was wrapped up in what I have been working for. And I'm like, when people say, who are you now? What are you doing? It's like at that time, they didn't really get it. And they were saying, well, why did you leave that to go open this consulting and recruiting firm? And it felt kind of like shameful to Mm -hmm. me. Did you feel any of that? Maybe that's not your word, but what did that feel like for you? No, I actually can 100% um, relate to that. I, when I decided that this is something I wanted to do and I, I dropped, when I first started my company, I dropped down to two days a week. So I dropped two days of practice and that was hard because I felt like I was abandoning not just who I thought I was at that time, but also my patients and my office. I just, I felt like I was betraying them or something, but I just, I had this calling, I guess you could call it that I just, I was compelled to do this. And um, so I do, I do, I can relate to that, but then also like I was, it, it made me think of what my identity really is because I'm not just, a hygienist. That's, I'm not just what I do for work. You know, there's like so right. so much to all of us. Um, but it just really makes you slow down and, and reevaluate your goals and really who you are. And I think, thank you for validating me. And, totally. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like too, I'm not, I have children and I felt like too, I was sort of not that much. A, I don't know. It was kind of like the mom, I was like putting 
myself before being a mom and all these other things. Mm-hmm. It's like this identity struggle that, you know, it didn't last too long, fortunately. But when you brought that up, it just brought me back to that time where I wondered if any of the other listeners who are out there listening to us have actually experienced that or now experiencing it because they don't know if it's the right time to make the jump, what it takes to make the jump. And they're like, you know, it goes along. I think it's wrapped up into that imposter syndrome. Yes. hundred percent. That we we get wrapped up in. So thank you for telling your story. And yeah, well, and it's, it's not just us too. I feel like it's when you decide to do something like this to completely like almost turn your life up upside down. Right. People close to me in my life, friends, family, they were, and I know that their intentions were good and they wanted to keep me safe. And they're like, you have a good career. You make good money. You have good hours. Like just stick with that. And I could have, but we need help in ergonomics and dentistry. And I feel like no time is a good time to do that. But I just, I felt this drive and I I had to do it. And so they were worried about me using my savings, you know, to start my business because I had to support myself somehow, you know, and it's just, yes, very scary. But if you have that passion and that vision, I think that's all that matters, <laughs> really, because you can make anything work. Yes, yeah. agreed. And I think I heard something that is that they say that you're exactly right. People will say, okay, aren't you, shouldn't you just do this because this is very safe, it's very comfortable. But as, the longer you stay there, the more you're not serving the area where you should be yeah. because that's safe for them. It doesn't mean it's necessarily safe for you and right. who you are and your identity. Yeah, right. And it's like they've got good intentions. But at the end of the day, it's like you've got to listen to your gut and listen to your heart and and do what it's telling you to do, even if it's very scary. And it is. <laughs> it is. So h- tell us how you started. So where did you – I heard you say that you went – you cut down the days of week mm-hmm. week that you were working. And then what did you do in that time? Like, what were you spending time on? Yeah. So I, um, I guess before I, I dropped days, I got certified in ergonomics because um, I needed that. So I got certified. It was over COVID. So it was virtual. Um, and then I just started... I didn't, you know, I didn't have a mentor at the beginning. Luckily, along the way, I've picked up a few that have really helped me. But um, I... Uh, developed my program. So what I had to do, there's not an ergonomic, there's not a dental ergonomic certification. It does not exist yet. I mean, maybe it will in the future. So I had to get certified in general ergonomics, which is really the program I went to is geared towards office workers or people working on an assembly line or in a warehouse. Um, So, but that helped me kind of establish this foundation of ergonomics. But then I'm like, how does this translate to dentistry now? So I had to do a lot of like field work, I call it, which is observing a lot of hygienists, dentists, assistants, and seeing like, obviously I know hygiene and I know the issues that we have, but I didn't know about dentists and dental assistants. And so I had to watch them practice and learn what their issues are and what their habits are. And then I developed my, my program from there. So it was a lot of observation at first. And then I developed like my, the structure of my program, the, um, the report, everyone that I work with gets a really like eight page report. And so it's kind of um, developing that and then creating for content for social media, which is quite a bit too. Um, Yeah. So I just, I, I was, I was very busy, not necessarily making money at first, like definitely not in the six months in the first six months. Um, But it was really just learning what the issues are in dentistry. So you were learning, 
So you were becoming a, a expert in your field because it's like you say, and a great way that you described it was that you're doing field studies. Mm-hmm. You're out examining folks and you're giving them recommendations. You're, and I think in some situations, it's almost modifying habits. Yes. That's what it is. And it's hard. It's, it's much easier to get a shiny piece of equipment and think that's going to solve all your issues, but it's changing this and changing our habits and our mindset. That's, that's the real work. So do you feel like in your opinion with what you've seen and observed that the eight page report, it points out the issues, but some of those triggers that make the person reach a certain way, like how do you help them overcome that? So um, on the report itself, I'm big on photography. So I take a lot of photos of the people practicing. And so it's like, if, if it's, if they're reaching for something, I'm like, you did this 32 times in one appointment, like that's, that's an issue, you know? And so it's just kind of um, showing them their pictures, but I'm also able to coach them. So they can choose to either just have an assessment that shows their habits and there's some recommendations for change, or they can have me come in and coach them where I start to correct their habits based off of what we found in the assessment, um, which really helps to, uh, I guess, reinforce the mm-hmm. the habits that they're trying to break and then reinforce the habits that we're trying to, um, to establish for them. That is so cool. So- yeah, it's pretty fun. And it's, it's not rocket science. Like I tell people this, there's no genius to ergonomics or really isn't, but it's, it's all about body awareness and just realizing, okay, I am twisting to one direction, like 20 times an hour. Maybe I should change that. And so it's just not, mm-hmm. it's not rocket science, but these little habits that we can change or just having the patient move their head in a different way. It makes all the difference. What do you think? What's Sorry, I'm like thinking, my mind is going, thinking about yeah. how much as I have for you. <laughs> in hygiene school, you remember how you had the posture police walking yeah. around going, mm-hmm. all right, you're at three o'clock and you're a right-handed clinician, you know, um, yeah. or feet, feet flat on the floor. You don't have that. So what's something that, that, a piece of advice that you would give to folks who maybe who have forgotten, because as soon as you go out of school and you go into private practice, some of that goes out the window. Oh, totally. Yeah. You're just trying trying to stay on time. Like you're not worrying about your arm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like, what's a piece of advice, like something they can put in the back of their mind, like, so they can go back into the right alignment. Is there something that's something somebody can say to themselves? Well, I would, I would say probably the number one thing is neutral posture. Learn what neutral posture is, learn what it feels like in your body and try to maintain that as much as you can. It's not possible to maintain it all the time, but try to maintain that for as long as you can. And then when you break neutral, like do this or like, you know, whatever, <laughs> um, try to get back to neutral. So that's probably a neutral posture is like the foundation of, of what I teach in ergonomics. So if people understand that they can really start to understand a lot of the Mm -hmm. other concepts that I talk about. That's, that's brilliant because it's um, you have to understand what good and what right looks like. Yeah. And sometimes neutral posture, when I get people into neutral for the first time, it feels really weird for them. It felt weird for me too. Cause I, people, I think people think that I started out being an ergonomic expert. That is not true. My ergonomics were awful, probably for the first 10 years of my career. And I developed pain. And that's why I kind of started this journey. So when I first started trying to get into neutral, I'm like, wow, this feels really awkward and forced and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, But the longer you're in it, then it starts to feel good. And then you start to realize, okay, how can I adjust my patient or adjust things in the operatory so that I can stay in this neutral posture? 
Yeah, that's good. So you're, you're, you're adjusting yourself back to the neutral posture. Yes, so it always. forms that habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, and it's not just for the operatory either. You know, it's for when we're looking on our cell phones, when we're working on laptops, when we're working out, it's like neutral posture. It should be on our mind always so that we start to develop that habit. And it just makes it easier in the operatory. Hmm. Yeah. Because your body starts to go back to what it remembers, right? Mm-hmm. With where the memories are with the yeah. muscles. Yep. That's why we have this, these tightness spots because it's yeah. kind of- well, and when I was, I was working with a hygienist just the other day and she kept tipping her, her head over, you know, and I just kept, I re- kept reminding her and she's like, I don't even know why I'm doing that. Like, it's not helping me see it's not doing anything for me. I'm like, it's just a habit that you've developed over time. And we just have to break that, you know? So we all do these weird things, but we just have to be aware of that. Have you found that some, that may, I may be putting you on the spot here, like some of those devices that you wear on your neck to keep from slouching and stuff. Have you used any of those? I haven't. I want to, there's one and I'm not going to say the brand, but I do want to try it. Um, I do. I think that there's some promise there because that instant feedback is huge for us. That's how we learn. And, the, and I have people, they're like, I wish you could just be with me all the time because I'm giving them that instant feedback. But if we could have a device that could do that, I mean, I think that that would be huge as long as it works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Put them back in neutral. <laughs> right. Yeah. And some of the, some, 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 sometimes people ask me about brace, like braces and things like that. And I feel like it's maybe a short-term solution, but if we're, in a brace, we're not using our muscles and our, our um, musculoskeletal system to hold us. We're using something artificial, which is just going to make us weaker over time. So that's mm. usually not something I recommend. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And then yeah. back to your journey, like first six months, you were learning, you were studying, you were making a bunch of social media content. How did you know, like, I remember what I went through. So I'm curious to hear your story because I know that you're an influencer, a contributor, creator. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel like nobody's going to watch this? Oh my God. When I first started, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when I first started, especially on social media, I had like 200 followers maybe. Um, and I was creating posts and I'm like, I'm literally the only person looking at these posts. Like, <laughs> you know, no one else is looking at them. And I just kept hearing from people, just be consistent just keep pumping it out there and then you'll start getting some traction and, and that there is a lot of truth to that. So it's like, even if you feel like you are the only one that's watching and that might very well be true. I mean, I didn't get any likes on my first, like probably month or so of posts. Like it was just putting it out there, but eventually it does start, you start to resonate with people and then they start really um, paying attention to what you're saying. Um, but I would say networking is a big aspect to, Um, especially as a new entrepreneur. And that's something that I wasn't aware of. Well, I guess I was aware of it, but I didn't realize how crucial it really is. And for me, I'm, this surprises people sometimes, but at, at my core, I'm an introvert. And so being social sometimes is uncomfortable for me. And so it's really, especially going to these big conferences, just getting out of your comfort zone and just kind of forcing yourself to do these things and meeting with some of these people. But that's probably been the biggest, um, reason for my um, success, if you want to call it that in this, in this first year is really networking with people. Do you have people who are alongside of you going or giving you feedback? I know what helped me out so much is people who would be on my webinars and critique things for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. They would be on and be like, next time do this. Do you have people like that for you? 
I, I have people that, um, I mean, there are people out there that will give you advice, it, whether you know them or not. Um, some of it's good, sometimes not so much. And then I do have people, though, that I trust that I'm like, hey, can you log in and just give me some feedback? And with those on webinars, too, um, or or in-person CE, whatever it is, those surveys, like I look at all of that yeah. and I take it to heart. You know, I mean, there's some stuff that's not so useful as far as like what I'm wearing or whatever, like, I don't care about that. But um, if they're giving me feedback on like some of my content or how I'm talking, or if I'm saying um a million times, that stuff really does help. So I, th- I think that it's important though, to have people in your circle that you do trust, that you trust their opinion and they can give you some honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that that just goes, takes you from here to here quicker. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thrive on constructive criticism too, because I'm always trying to get better. Um, so I do take that stuff to heart. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've been past the six months. How long have you been doing this on your own and uh, your business? So it has been in April, it'll be two years. So under two years still. Um, and probably within that first six months, I was still, um, I was doing some CE uh, just sp- sporadic webinars and stuff. Cause it was still over COVID. So there wasn't a whole lot in person mm-hmm. um, that helped a lot. And really to get started with that as a speaker, at least in my experience, it wasn't easy um, breaking in as a new person where no one knows who the heck you are or what you talk about. Um, so it was a lot of like cold emails to associations, dental associations, hygiene associations. Um, and then once you get some traction and pick up some speed, then you have word of mouth and it's a little bit easier. Yeah, it, it it is. And that it's so uncomfortable at first going, hi, I'm this person oh, here. God. And when yeah. they say, what do you speak on? And you feel like you only have one course. Yeah. And I did just have one at the time. I was like, this is all I got right now. And so that's sage advice right there. It's okay. It's okay. And it's perfectly acceptable to have one course. Mm-hmm. I think so. And then you master it and you get very comfortable with it. It builds your confidence. And then you can start building other courses that maybe you're not hundred percent familiar with the material and it's forcing you to learn. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's making you Excel. But I, I think at first um, you do have to have a course that you know it front and back and you're very comfortable with it. Yeah. And you only will know that through repetition yep. and practice, just like your social media post every time, no matter if anybody liked it, or if you couldn't tell the insights of it, you were still doing it. And then every time you did it, you got more comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so everything that you do is for you, even totally. if you go through the motions. Yeah. And it's, it, it, sometimes it is messy and ugly at first. I mean, I look back at some of my <laughs> videos that, that I created at the beginning and I'm like, oh my God, like they're cringy, but <laughs> that's how we learn, you know, and probably some of the stuff that I do now is cringy too. And a couple years later, I'll look back on this and be like, oh my God, but it's all, it's all about learning and just improving and, and putting yourself out there. It's not easy, but it's also really rewarding too. And so now you, you're speaking, you said you're writing as well. Mm-hmm. Who Are you writing for any publications in particular or just kind of all over? Yeah, I kind of, I mean, who almost like whoever will have me, I'll write something for them. So there's been some online um, journals and stuff. I, I've written quite a bit for RDH Magazine. I'm mm-hmm. on their um, advisory board now. And then I'm going to start writing for um, Dentistry IQ as well this next year, hopefully for Dimension. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm trying to... 
I feel like because I'm a hygienist, um, I'm getting almost pigeonholed that I only work with hygienists, which isn't true. So I work with dental assistants and dentists too. So I think for 2023, I'm going to focus on that, trying to get in front of more dentists and dental assistants because they struggle just as much as we do with organic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great strategy too, to, to go, we, we are very niche and we're very good at what we do mm-hmm. and there's more to it than that. I mean, it ergonomics applies to everyone, desk sitters, people at desks. Yeah. You know, laptops, man. <laughs> They're killer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what are, do you have any advice for people who are, so you talked a little bit about you cold called on some on the CE and stuff like that. How did you break into writing for some of these journals? And so I reached out to RDH, uh, Jackie Sanders. I mm-hmm. mean, I feel like everyone knows her. She's mm-hmm. wonderful. And she um, gave me some pointers on things to write and gave me some opportunities to write for RDH. And that was huge for me. I mean, it helped get my name out there and get some good information out there for people. Um, and then I've reached out to other uh, publications as well. And I feel like I feel like everyone's looking for content. I mean, may- maybe I'm not right, but I feel like I am. <laughs> and so they welcome, especially new writers. They want to see, you know, these new fresh faces that have a different perspective. But it's it's all about being, there's a lot of bravery, I think. Um, even when you think that you haven't mastered your topic, that's okay. But just being brave and reaching out because you, whether you know it or not, we all have something to offer and we all have a different perspective that somebody can benefit from. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be perfect, does it? No, no. And it never, it's almost better when it's not. That's what I've learned. And I think that's hard, especially for hygienists, because we're all perfectionists, but not that it has to be messy, but the more imperfect it is, the more real you are. And people respond to that. Yeah. I remember getting hung in my own head because I was feeling like I was being graded on a paper when I wrote something. I could just hear this voice going, it's, you know, uh, should you write in a different tone? Is this technical enough? But it wasn't supposed to be technical. Yeah. It was supposed to be more conversational. And so I had to keep, you know, self-correcting, taking myself off of, you know, autopilot to go, no, Kelly, you need to be here and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that comes with experience too. Like as you put yourself out there as your true self and you're real and you're not filtered or whatever, and then you start realizing that people are connecting with that. They Mm -hmm. appreciate that. And then that just, I don't know, just reinforces you to do that more. Like when I first started with um, social media and my posts, I mean, I would try to be perfect. And now it's like, I'll get on video and I don't have makeup on and I I don't really care anymore. (laughs) Not that I don't care, but you know what I mean? That's not, it's the material that's important. It's not really how you look or how you're presenting. Yeah, I, that authentic, that authenticity mm-hmm. and, and the vulnerability. Because I even find that in leadership, where if a person thinks a leader, and, and a leader is us, a leader is each one of us. Mm-hmm. If someone thinks that another person is perfect, and they try to emulate that perfection, they feel like there's pressure of that in that. Then it it creates something that doesn't really promote learning within them. And it, and so it's done. I think it stunts growth. So when we as a leader show that vulnerability, ah, I messed up. Eh, that was totally not what I was planning to do, but here we are. How do we, how are we going to fix this? How do we work together? It helps other people learn. Well, it does. And it makes, it makes you approachable and it makes it like a safe space for people to, to share ideas. And I, I think it's so important to be authentic. I yeah. wish I would have learned that a long time ago, actually, because I spent a lot of time trying to be perfect and it's just not possible. <laughs> Did you find that you were trying to be someone else? Um, 
I was trying to be a version of myself that I thought other people wanted. Mm. So a lot of people pleasing there. I feel like I'm a recovering people pleaser. Um, (laughs) And it's just more like now I'm trying to just listen to my gut. Like, is this decision best for me? Even if that means that I'm going to disappoint someone else, which is very difficult for someone who grew Mm -hmm. up being a people pleaser. Like you want to say yes to everything, but um, if it's not in alignment with you, it's, if it's not going to bring you joy, it's probably not the best thing for you to do. Yeah. That's great advice. Any final words you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, just, you know, (laughs) don't forget that you are important too. And like, we take care of our patients, we take care of our families and our team. Um, but we have to take care of ourselves. And I think that we forget that as being caretakers, but we, we cannot, live a good life, a fulfilling life. We can't feel good if we're not taking care of ourselves. So I try to tell people you're the most important person in the operatory, not your patient, not the doc. If if we're talking about hygienists, um, but you are. And so just don't forget that and make sure to honor yourself and take care of yourself. Mm, That's powerful. I love that. It's true. And you know, it's yeah. Put your own oxygen mask on first. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) When you say it like that, it makes sense. I know. I know. It gets lost sometimes. (laughs) Especially in the app, because it's your, you're on, you're on, you're on. Yeah. And you got to, there is a way, there is a way to take care of your patient and take care of yourself. And that's really what I try to teach people when I'm working with them. That's so, uh, Stephanie, you're, I mean, you're a light in this industry and just thank you for helping so many people on behalf of all of us, the human race. <laughs> so, um, because it, it's debilitating, it's debilitating it when, and it's just the services that you offer are life-changing and they're career saving. And it is a trickle down effect and a ripple effect in so many ways. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I mean, when, when I learned ergonomics, it changed my life for the better, Um, And it changed all aspects of my life. And I just, I want to give that to people if that's something that they're looking for, because it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how do people find you? How do they reach out to you? Um, uh, Probably my website is the easiest. It's posturepros.net. And it's got ways you can contact me. It also has links to all of my social media. I'm pretty active on social. I do a lot of videos and stuff. And so you can um, click those to get to my social media pages too. And it has information on like, my courses and and my assessments and all that. That's awesome. I, I like that it's all in one place. <laughs> well, thank you. It's been an honor having you on today. And I hope to see you soon and in person when we go to Yankee. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to make it a point to to stalk you and so that we can at least give it. We'll a get a hug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. And to our listeners, if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor and giving the dental handoff a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, because we know that Apple is what rates the majority of the podcasts, I would truly appreciate it. And Stephanie, thanks again. And to you all, thanks for everything that you do. Be well, take good care of yourselves. Thank you. 